1: All over the place, being Mr. Dad, Mr. Mom, and Mr. Chauffeur, since the last episode, my wife has tragically broken her foot in at least one place, if not two places, we're still waiting to see. And so when you break a bone, Bob, everybody asks, well, how did you do it? How did that happen? No. So my wife was at rehearsal. She's supposed to be in a play this week, a Percy Jackson and she's been working really hard for a long time, very excited to be in it. And it's literally as simple as this. She was standing there, her knee popped out of socket, and she turned and broke her foot. That's it. That's the whole story. Man, that's a, that's a story.
2: That is, I mean, that's <laughs> a story in and of itself right there. Because, yeah. you know, usually it's, you know, I was climbing a mountain, I was parasailing, I was hang gliding, I was, you know, I was, you know, doing an ollie on the skateboard, you know, whatever. Or kick Jimbo, you know, one of those. I, you know. But, well, I, I think the bigger question is how's she doing now? How's she, is she all right?
1: She's doing much better now. It was kind of a hard start there at first. We took her to the doctor and they put a knee brace on her to protect her knee from coming out of place and a boot on her foot to protect her foot till she can see an orthopedic surgeon. And it was like her knee got worse. And just like they have, you know, they put this knee brace on that's supposed to keep your knee from popping out of place. Like that's this whole design. And it's like infinitely worse. Like our knee popped out of place like seven times in a matter of like 12 hours. And it's excruciatingly painful every time Mm -hmm. that Mm happens. And so that's starting to freak me out because I'm thinking if your knee's popping out with a medical device literally designed by medical professionals to keep this thing from happening and now it's happening, Something's wrong. And my assumption was something's very wrong with your knee. I didn't look at the problem correctly, Bob. We talked to the doctor. The nurse had put the knee brace on upside down. (laughs) All right.
2: 1-800-INJUREDWIFE.COM. Like, go
1: there right now. I think a big settlement is coming your way. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Something. Yeah, man. We got to figure that. But now that she's got the brace on correctly, she's doing much better. So she'll see an orthopedic surgeon later this week and we'll know more information.
2: Well, I'm sorry that that happened to Audrea. And uh, that's a tough, tough go. And I'm sure it, it complicates life for you a little bit because you're you're the sole driver, meal maker, laundry dude, chief bottle washer, etc., guy right now. Um the whole
1: th- yeah the whole thing man.
2: In addition to carrying this podcast on your back, I mean I just <laughs> want to thank you for all you're doing. The us and the boot camp
1: in life and well wishes to you Jimbo and Audrea. Well good man. Hey a couple updates on the podcast for our listeners that I want you guys to know about. One, speaking of overlooking things, we overlooked the fact that we did not have a search bar on our website. And so we called up our good buddy at one eight one good buddies at 180 digital and they fixed it real quick so now you can go to replantbootcamp.com and you can click whatever you want in that search bar If it, like not only like hey is there a specific topic that they've addressed specific guests that maybe they've had on that i want to know about but we've often talked a lot about other important things like restaurants you should visit when you <laughs> yeah. go to certain cities and and you may you may remember like there was something called brothers tacos what city was that in and yeah. you can search that and it's gonna we should be do some trivia we
2: we need to do some contests and trivia <laughs> I mean um, I'd like to suggest a few search terms. The number one search term that I would like to suggest is chainsaw. Chainsaw. Chainsaw <laughs> yeah egg in a hole I think yeah. the second one that I would say uh huh. And tractors. Those would be three that I would contribute at this point, Jimbo.
1: Yeah, yeah. Put those in, see what you find when you listen to those episodes. Here's the second update I want to give everybody on the podcast recording platform that we utilize called Squadcast. There is now an opportunity for us to do something called backstage, which means that when we record this, we could put a link out there where our listeners could join us live and enter. they could enter stuff into the chat room and things like that, and we could make it a little more interactive. I'm not saying we're going to do that every week, but just be on the lookout for when we decide one day we've got the right topic, the right thing, like the one problem, the one solution to solve all your problems podcast (laughs) episode that... We'll market it out there in such a way that we'll get people on, and we'd love to uh, just be on the lookout. That's going to come one day where we're going to be inviting you to listen in live while we record.
2: And uh, Jimbo, I'm a little disappointed. We're not putting that by behind a paywall, are we? Behind no, 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 oh, no. Okay, no. all right. <laughs> I was a little concerned there for a minute.
1: Well, hey, look, let's dive into the topic for today. I want to talk to you, the listeners, about the importance of servant leadership in Today, it seems like good leadership is really being questioned as to what that even means, right? So I think for a long time, even though we all wanted leaders with good character and integrity and with the right motivations, the prevailing kind of view of what a good leader is has been determined almost entirely on their ability to get results, and particularly results that are easily measured numerically, right? So how how good are you at drawing a crowd? How good are you at uh, fundraising? How good are you at getting a social media following? How good are you at some of those things? And we've talked about this a little bit with platform versus table leadership. But as we talk about, even even in the platform part, because I want to make sure we don't, we're not demonizing platform ministry. We're saying platform ministry has its place and it's not the entirety of leadership, but even in platform, what does it look like in both of those to be a servant leader?
2: Mm -hmm. I think that's good, Jimbo. I think too many times we are prone to swing to one side of the pendulum, you know, the pendulum swings to one side all the way or the other. And I think what, what we're trying to, uh, to, uh, stress is the necessity for being a fully developed leader that exhibits the fruit of the Spirit, models your leadership after Christ, et cetera. And that's the challenge, right? And I think sometimes when we take those surveys, it's easy for us to go, well, I'm all of this or I'm none of that. And too many times we let a a man-made survey just kind of dictate to us an excuse for Mm. operating Certain way as a leader. So I'm glad you're bringing this topic up, and I think it's going to be helpful for the guys.
1: Well, I think we have to, I mean, we have to recognize, right? Even Jesus came to serve. Yeah. You look at the famous kenosis passage of Philippians 2, you look at even what he said. He said that the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. And you look at the passages about what it means to be an elder, a pastor, a bishop, overseer, whatever term you decide to use there. We've been called to serve and love and honor God and honor others as we lead.
2: Yeah. And specifically, the Philippians passage says, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. And so I think that's really key for us, is developing the mind and the heart and the actions of a servant leader really are, first and foremost, the biblical call that we have. And then this really is the most effective way to lead a congregation forward.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of people who have written about servant leadership I've gotten to learn a lot about it under the tutelage of Rick Wheeler and Bob Bumgarner, uh, the two AMSs I've gotten to serve under here in Jacksonville. Both of them love to talk about servant leadership, lead like Jesus. Robert Greenleaf wrote, The servant leader is servant first. It begins with the natural feeling that one wants to serve. The conscious choice brings one to aspire to lead. The difference manifests itself in the care taken by the servant. First, to make sure that other people's highest priority needs are being served. And I love this part of this quote. The best test is if of you if you're being a servant leader, the best test is do those that you're serving grow as persons? Do they while being served become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous and more likely to become servants? That's that's how you know it's, so i love that look of not just what are your characteristics of a leader but what is what are the people you're leading how do like how is that fruit playing out in their lives is the best test of if you're a servant leader
2: most definitely and i i think if you're in a position of leadership long enough you you know the old axiom says you reproduce who you are not what you aspire to but what you actually are and so if you've been part of an organization where a servant leader is leading and discipling, then his his church, his organization, his company, his family they're all going to model that. They're all going to embody that. And and I think it's really it's a great quote that just gets us down to man, what am I producing? What am I re- actually seeing in terms of fruit of ministry? And here is what I want to say to the replanter: Man, give yourself some time. Right, mm-hmm. the disciples that were made decades before you got there, if they're not servant leaders, it ain't going to happen in a year. Right. Mm. And particularly, it might not ever happen in some of their lives. It might only happen with the new folks that you bring in. So I want to give some guys a little bit of space and a little bit of grace, too, to, to evaluate their leadership with a long view and just a sense of patience as they cultivate a different type of culture and a different type of leader in their context and in their
1: church. Yeah, I think, I think patience is so key. I think that even plays out, the patience and long-term view plays out in the immediate by not being in a hurry. Yeah, there's lots of great books about that. You know, the unhurried leader and unhurried life, and all those sorts of things. But that idea, you know, ruthless elimination of hurry. John Mark Comer. This idea of of hurry is this urgency, as if everything is up to you, and mm-hmm. that's a that's that's a temptation as a leader to feel like, especially in a replant where. You may be the only one taking initiative to lead for a while. It really starts to feel like, man, this is all on me, and and so I have to hurry and and get things done. Man, if you look at the timelines in the Bible, God never gets in a hurry. Nope. This is just just be patient. Yeah. Plot along, get it done. Yeah,
2: cycles. If we just looked at numbers in the Bible, seven years, forty years, eighty years, one hundred twenty years. You know those sorts of things. I I think that there's a different pace. Uh, absolutely. And obviously in scripture. And I would say this permission to make a sports analogy,
1: Jimbo. Come on, do it. Permission. Granted. All right.
2: So we're, we're right around the corner from football season. And so you're uh, you're pulling for your Tigers. I'm pulling for the Razorbacks. I am. Uh, I'm hopeful for the Cowboys, but I'm a fair weather knee jerk fan for the Cowboys. If they throw <laughs> one interception, the Super Bowl <laughs> is lost. Right. It's over. It's just <laughs> the way it is. I'll be pulling for the Chiefs as well. You know, but. I think sometimes a three-yard gain is just as strategic as a 15-yard gain in the sense of if you take somebody who's a fullback, a fullback doesn't catch an 80-yard pass down the field, right? They just don't. It's not who they are. What do they do? Well, they get a three-yard gain right up the middle. Maybe it gets a first mm-hmm. down. Maybe it gets them to the goal line. And I think some of our replants and our revitalizations, a, a succession of three-yard gains is probably a really good thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you're in football and you get four three yard gains, you know what you have, Jimbo? What do you have? You got a first down.
1: You got a first down. First, first, down. first down.
2: You know, so there move you the go. Right? Just move the chains. And and so I think some guys may just just focus on are the people this year a little bit more like Jesus than they were last year? And, and-
1: so when you say just move those chains, is that what Chris Tomlin meant when he? Added that line to Amazing Grace. (laughs) My chains are gone. (laughs) I've been set free.
2: (laughs) I don't know what he meant. Jimbo, he just adds adds stuff to him. I don't know. I don't want to talk about Chris Tomlin. (laughs) All right, let's
1: move on. Let's move on. All right, look, another book that talked about servant leadership is James C. Hunter has a book called The Servant. He defines servant leadership as the skill of influencing people to work enthusiastically toward goals identified as being for the common good, and Hunter goes on to say that we we really in leadership usually lean towards getting people to do things either through our own power or through authority, and that it, we need to we need to lean away from trying to do things in our own power, but in authority the, of the authority of the Lord. And so here's here's how he distinguishes those he he defines power in leadership as the ability to force or coerce someone to do your will, even if they choose not to, because of your position and might. And so it's the because I said so, right? It's the I'm your boss, I told you to do it, you just got to do it. Authority is the skill of getting people to willingly do your will because of your personal influence in their life. And and so leaning more towards that authority side than power.
2: Yeah, we we see this dynamic all the time. And especially in the church, we want to be people of influence, I think. Mm -hmm. And you can influence people through power, but you don't get lasting results that way. Yeah. yeah. Only when only when the power is present do you get the people to move. Yeah. So I think the authority is using that position that God has given you. And and we believe that God has called men to serve the church and He's equipped them. And if they've been tested and they're vetted and they have the qualities of an overseer, an elder, then they have the opportunity to use the authority that comes with that office to influence people for good. Right. So that uh, people will and I think the key word that that is used there is willingly, right? Mm-hmm. Not begrudgingly, not because they have to. And I think we we experience this everywhere we work, and and you know, growing up, and all your jobs, and all your vocational experiences, and even some of your church experiences. The best ones are where people are there and they're. They're there because they want to willingly be part of the mission yeah. to meet the objective, right? Now, in, a, in an employee sense, you know, there's some compensation involved. So you get a lot of willingness with the paycheck. But mm-hmm. we work in a much more complicated situation with volunteers who are church members who have a responsibility to the body, but they don't have an obligation in terms of the same sense that like an employee does. So yeah. we have to use influence. And, and I think that distinction is very important.
1: I think about the episode where I talked about the lady that was real upset in a business meeting, and so I went to her house, brought her some donuts because she loved donuts, and sat at her table and just listened to her for a while and wrote down every issue that she had. And, and then at the end, I because she had she had acted in a behavior in a meeting that really was, was not okay, uh, after hearing her, I, I said to her, because I was pretty news pastor, and I'm, I was... I'm fairly young, uh, younger than her, like, grandson. And so I I looked at her and I said, hey, would you allow me now to speak to you as some pastoral authority? Now, I could have used the power that I have as pastor and just could have, like, you know, nailed her. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you showed your tail in that meeting and, and just, like, let her have it. But using—now, that's not my wisdom— I was coached well to do that. Yeah. If you want, if you want to hear that story, you can use our fancy new search bar, and if you just search donuts, I bet you that that episode will come up. And so, search donuts, and you can go listen to that. But it, there's there's so much more you can accomplish for good using that authority correctly than just leaning into the power, dropping the pastor card. You know, hey, I'm the pastor. You got to do what I say.
2: Yeah, I think there's false. There is a false. Uh, excuse me, Jim. I'm having a hard time talking today. There is a force multiplier that needs to be acknowledged in this brief story that you have just told, and that is donuts. Donuts are a force multiplier. Bring donuts to a meeting, and you got some force that's going to be multiplied.
1: <laughs> I love it. Hey, three questions to ask yourself as you're leading. And so part of this I got from a presentation by Bob Bumgarner on servant leadership. Three questions to ask yourself as a person. Ask, who is God shaping me to be? I think it's a really important question, and we can unpack these here in a second. Second, for the people that I'm leading, how am I leading those God has given me to lead and then three, purpose: What is God calling me to do? And I want to unpack those for just a minute. The the idea of who is God shaping me to be? We've talked about this a lot of times, Bob. Sometimes, especially in hard, we've t- we've talked about it in reference, especially to hard times of of asking, what is the Lord trying to sanctify in me through this hard season as I'm going through this difficulty? But even in the good times, like what is it in all that we're doing? I think it's a it's important not just to see. The task ahead of us as a to-do list or an action list or a strategy. Let me punch these, you know, punch list. Let me da, 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 let me get this stuff done. Yep. Let me uh, let me accomplish results. It's the it's the old it's the old. Uh, are you are you using people to build great programs or using programs to build people? And just even asking not only of them but now you are asking of me. Am I doing this t- so I can be numerically successful? So I can. Feel validated in my work, uh, find my identity there, or how is how is God shaping me? How is God using this sermon I'm writing? How is God using this leadership effort? How is God using these challenges? How is God using these things that are easy to celebrate to shape me to become more like Him?
2: Yeah, i I think that is an important question, and so. I'm, I wanna, I'm wrestling with sort of a, a clarification or distinction maybe, perhaps. Yeah. Because I, I think um, I have worked at a, a church on a large staff and, and have the responsibility to oversee a lot of folks. And one of the things that was uh, said often is we, we, um, we use mm-hmm. ministry to get people done we don't use people to get ministry done. Right. So there's kind of this, this distinction a little bit, but I think what actually was meant by the phrase, you know, we use ministry to get people done was, was an unhealthy employment and assignment that was of a particular nature that I don't think necessarily had a sort of a divine sanctifying mission other than this was what I think should be done. And so I'm going to, this is what I think should happen in this person's life. And so I'm going to put this person in this thing in this activity in order to produce what I think needs to be done in their life. Now I, I want to be cautious in saying, I do believe that God calls us as leaders to, uh, to, to, strategize and to pray together and to think through with others what can we do together in terms of ministry to accomplish the mission that God has given us here mm-hmm. and to do it in a way that brings glory and honor to him mm-hmm. that, that is something that's completely different than I think this needs to happen in this person's life and so I'm going to create this thing to make this happen in their life. does, does it, are, Am I making sense? Am I kind of making the distinction here a little bit? I just want to be clear on that.
1: Yeah, I think I'm kind of tracking with you. I mean, it feels like somewhat the same idea there of, I think the thing we're trying to avoid is seeing people as commodities. Yeah. Depersonalizing, right? Right. Where you know it's the old um, I say old it's it's the quote that kept coming up in the Mars Hill podcast the rise and fall of Mars Hill of you can either get on the bus or you can get run over by the bus yeah and the you know the and and you know Driscoll says the whatever of dead bodies behind the bus and yeah there's a high body count yeah the high body like servant leaders are never going to be okay with a body count, right? Like a servant leader cares less about the perceived successfulness of their programs and cares more about the spiritual development and health of the people they're leading.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think you have to have a you got to have a clear definition, a biblical, clear biblical definition of what health spiritual health looks like and spiritual maturity looks like and i think the the challenge in in some of what we've seen in the past history of you know big blowups or big downfalls of of some of the the more prominent churches is is it seems like the mission is just to get the ministry that they've defined done and it doesn't care. It doesn't matter what the cost is to the people that are doing it. And so I think what we're saying is you've got a call to develop people towards maturity and Christ likeness and do that in a way that creates wholeness and health and, you know, all of that stuff that would be a blessing to, to their life rather than just get some ministry that you've designed done. Mm. And, yeah. and I think I I would add to that too, is I think there's a level of there needs to be a level of humility when we look at somebody in our congregation and say, "I know I know exactly what needs to happen and occur in their heart and their life, right hmm. Hmm. I want to be careful in saying that, yeah, but I also want to have some maturity and base my observations on the fruit of the spirit, right. And if there's, if there's not love, if there's not joy, peace, patience, um, gentleness, kindness, self-control, all those sorts of things, then we have a conversation, a longer conversation. And then I think helping to uh, encourage them to develop those things uh, in situations where the Lord would, would lead them to engage, I think would be important. Um, so I think there's a little bit of a distinction there and I don't know if I'm, I don't feel like I'm speaking with it with great clarity, but I hope, I hope people can read between the lines and kind of hear what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I think, so what I'm hearing you say is don't assume that you are the sole authority on exactly how someone needs to be developed. Sure. Is that along the lines of what you're saying? Yeah. And, and
2: secondarily don't, don't design or assign a program specifically to them based on your assumption alone. Right. Mm. So I think that's where I would, would want to be careful.
1: Yeah. I think that goes, I mean, it's one of the things we've talked about on here a lot and I think it's so important. I, the idea of shared leadership, not just, plur, cool. not just plurality of, of leadership because plurality of leadership is super important. But even beyond that top level of plurality of leaders, like sharing leadership amongst others, we have to move away from—I mean, it's, it's the slogan right now of the association where I serve, Don't Pastor Alone. And, and one of the things we talk about is Don't Pastor Alone goes a lot of directions, right? Don't Pastor Alone means you need some friends that, uh, that are pastors that are going to walk this with you. As as brothers, as mentors, as mentees, like it needs to go all those directions, but it also needs to go in that you're not the sole authority at your church on everything. You need to lead well within the context that you have, and and most likely God has not given you such a supernatural gift of discernment that you can immediately determine what everybody needs, uh, and so that goes to the to the other questions of how am I leading them? Am I leading them in a way that? that follows the characteristics of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit? Am I, am I leading them in a way that that looks like I'm walking in love, that I'm truthing in love, that I am living that out in such a way that it helps people know Jesus better and fall more in love with Jesus? And then what is it that God's calling me to do? Hey, I think we'll probably unpack this more over uh, another episode or two, but uh, think about in this as, as a boot camper, man, how are you leading? What is it God's calling you to do? And how is God using this to shape you as a leader to become more like Jesus? Because that's what really matters more than everything else.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, sharing and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, dot Church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.